Hi, I'm Paul Strinkler and welcome to Tech Interviews. On this, the first show of 2019, we do what all good podcasts do as we take a look at the year ahead. So settle back, dust off the crystal ball and enjoy the show. Hi and welcome to uh, Tech Interviews. And as this is the first show of the year, what better place to start than to do uh, what we've done the last couple of years actually with Tech Interviews and do a little bit of a bit of crystal ball gazing and take a look at some of the trends and technology moves that we expect to see during 2019. Um, so to help me do that, I've got a different guest this year. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with the, the guys who've helped me do this the last couple of years, but it's always nice to get a fresh perspective. Um, so joining me today, I've got uh, Dave Russell. Hi, Dave. Hey, Paul. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, well, thanks for spending some time um, to, to kind of share some some ideas with you and uh, uh, with us. Um, and, you know, the idea behind this show came from actually a, a presentation I saw you give uh, recently at um, uh, an online conference talking about some of the kind of industry trends you expected to see uh, kind of uh, dominate some of the landscape during 2019. So, so I thought I would make an interesting show, some kind of ready-made predictions. Um, but before we jump into that, Dave, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to the audience, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are, what it is you do, and maybe a little bit about your background as well. Yeah, brilliant. So I'm one of those uh, people that um, never aspired to do anything other than backup. Uh, now almost 30 years in backup recovery. Um, got my first taste of it when I was in grad school, uh, managing the undergraduate computer lab uh, and used good old reliable tape. And I say that with all sincerity, I actually am one of the few people maybe that uh, still embrace tape and think it's, it has a wonderful use case. Uh, and then spent 15 plus years at IBM on mainframe and then open systems, backup and recovery. And then about 13 years at Gartner, uh, where I led, amongst other things, the, the backup magic quadrant. And now going on eight months at, at Veeam, where I'm technically entitled the vice president of enterprise strategy. But I'm pretty quick to sort of apologize for the enterprise world or word because really, you know, regardless of market segment, the challenges, the constraints that people have are, are pretty universal when it comes to availability. Yeah, and I think that's um, it's interesting. We were talking weren't we, before we started recording about kind of the um, uh, universality, if that's even a word. It's it's my new word for 2019, if it isn't. Um, but that that we often will sit and chat with people who feel they've got unique unique challenges in their organisation, but actually a lot of the challenges they see, particularly in this area of kind of data management and and, and availability actually regardless almost of the type of organization can be uh, can be pretty universal uh, a universal set of problems um, I'm, I'm interested actually before we jump into some of the things around the predictions uh, you, you kind of mentioned in your background there uh, you know you spent a, a, a big period of your working life working as an analyst um, and so you know just, just as a, a quick view as an analyst actually looking at the kind of data management industry um, as, as it currently stands you know what what continues to interest you that actually you want to take a leap from from being an analyst to kind of moving into the, the vendor world with Veeam. Now, what are some of the things, some of the challenges you see that, that are interesting and, uh, and and keep you wanting to work in this industry? Yeah, you know, I, I think on the one hand, people look at backup and recovery or availability and they say, well, hmm, doesn't everyone already have a backup product or, you know, isn't that a, a thing that's been addressed and it's been handled and, you know, check that box in other words. And the reality is no, that there is Unfortunately, substantial sort of, I use the word pain, that's maybe a little negative, but there's frustration, there's challenges with trying to meet availability windows. And at the same time, there's a lot of innovation taking place. This is not a stagnant industry whatsoever. And in part, it's because what we're being asked to protect, the volume of information that we're trying to oversee, the infrastructure and the environment that we're responsible for managing is increasing in complexity and diversity 
And at the same time, of course, service level, service level agreements are rising. And I like to say service level expectations are even higher. So if you put this all together, it's a very interesting puzzle of how you can do a best fit of available resources, availability for the business, and try to match in the best way you can, ensuring that you can make the business continuous, available, and hopefully even leverage backup data for more than just an insurance policy that you hope you never have to cash. In other words, transform this from something that you use on the proverbial rainy day to maybe something you do on a daily basis, not because of the system went down or someone accidentally deleted a file or ransomware infiltrated your system, but because I want to take a good copy of my data and leverage that for other use cases, be it DevOps or some other activity. Yeah, I think you use a really interesting word in there as well, that idea of service level expectation. Um, and all the things you just talked about there, I, you know, I tend to be, and you know, and I think probably we'll start to touch on this idea of some of the trends that you, you see looking, looking forward into to this year. That one of the things that we're seeing increasingly is the idea that companies are starting to realise how valuable their data is, you know, and being able to access it and protect it, and then and then being able to extract additional value from it. You see, it seems to be a key challenge at the the top of a lot of um, kind of a lot of CIOs' uh, wish lists, I suppose. And I mean, is that is that kind of reflected in what you see as well? That you know, people are realising that the value in the data they hold. Um, and, and being able to use it differently is, is key for them? I really think so. You know, uh, truth be told, uh, larger organizations, the CIO, if they know anything about backup, it's usually only how much it's costing them. You know, what are the license costs? What are the infrastructure costs? And now I think what you're starting to see, I think in large part due to analytics, where people are now understanding that we can get more value out of data than we ever realized. And in fact, when we create data on day one, that intended use might exist, but what we can actually do with it later on downstream is even greater and unbeknownst to us at the, at the moment of creation. So I think now people look at their, their backup data and they say, wow, there's this wealth of information that we've captured. And oh, it has this favorable property of not being in production, right? We're not going to impact current activities. But we can actually drive the business forward, mining this data, leveraging this data for analytics, security purposes, application development, patch testing, you name it, a whole variety of things that suddenly make backup sound like something that you want to minimize the cost and pain associated with that to, wow, something that I can leverage to drive the business forward to get better business outcomes. So, uh, so as, well, I think that leads nicely into this idea of, of kind of where we see, um, you know, t- where we might look to see some of the kind of trends that we might want to be looking to take advantage of and, and some of the trends that, that may change the way we approach some of these challenges during 2019. So, so maybe, I mean, to put that into a little bit of perspective, you know, what, what are some of the, um, I suppose, what are some of the major goals that you see when you talk to kind of businesses, you know, and, and maybe have done either in your, your time as an analyst or during your time now at Veeam? You know, what, what are some of the areas that, um, some of the key challenges that CIOs are seeing? You know, what, what are some of the things that businesses are looking to achieve? Um, and then we can maybe d- delve into where we see some of the technology trends helping them to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So, and you're right, in my, in my past life as an analyst and current life at Veeam, we kind of intertwine. And I start first and foremost with essentially the CEO and CIO. And I was involved in, in industry surveys, in fact, the largest industry survey for, for CIOs, about 3,000 of them annually when I was at Gartner. 
And the interesting thing is that CEOs generally say, we're done, we're all the way in the cloud. CIOs generally say, we're on our way, we just need to finish out our cloud strategy. And then you get down to infrastructure and operations people, and their view is, we need to develop a cloud strategy. We need to understand what we're going to do. And you get to the storage team and the backup team, and sometimes there's almost a sense that those individuals are cloud allergic. But if you, if you look at CIOs in particular, their assumption is that we're going to leverage the cloud. And the reason why is that CIOs are first and foremost focused on business growth and digital transformation, which of course helps support growth. So their view is we want to get to the cloud to increase agility, hopefully improve expenses, but to dramatically improve time to market. And they think that, you know, they're not going to abandon on-premise activity, but they're going to increasingly embrace a multi-cloud world. So the, the first real prediction is around multi-cloud usage and exploitation rising dramatically. And in reality, most of us are probably more multi-cloud than we think. And what I mean by that is if you're using software as a service, you know, Office 365 might be a very good example, or Salesforce.com or Workday, but some other examples. And you've got an infrastructure as a service instance, maybe Amazon or Azure or Google uh, Cloud. You know, you've got that. Maybe you're sending backup data or a portion of your backup data to the cloud. You already are multi-cloud. And I think the reality of 2019 and going forward is going to be that is the new normal. That is no longer an interesting mix that's on the rise or a mix that's taking place that we may not even be fully conscious of. But it's going to be our persistent reality in, in the world in which we operate. Uh, yeah, and I, and I think one, one of the really interesting areas that, um, you know, Veeam amongst other companies that I, I'm kind of seeing doing this, that, that the way that we're consuming multi-cloud um, is, is becoming more and more seamless, I think. You know, there, there's some, so some of the innovations that Veeam have got, for example, in their update for, for the backup and replication tool, you know, includes the integration of kind of a cloud archive tier. Yes. Um, but some of the storage vendors we work with, you know, so the likes of NetApp are kind of integrating cloud directly into their on-tap, on-prem kind of uh, enterprise operating system. You know, when you're starting to see, and and some of the conversations we've been having recently is that I think people who have been, um, who've been reticent maybe to adopt public cloud as part of their infrastructure are seeing the value of, well, if I can can kind of include it seamlessly in my day-to-day activity with tools that I already know and know how to control and manage, that's a lot easier move for them. And I think, as you say, that idea that some of them might have some Office 365 stuff and maybe using, uh, uh, you know, AWS and and an S3 bucket as a way of storing some archive data and have maybe got an Azure blob next to it and maybe looking at an, an IBM Watson analytics tool that they're using these tools as a um, because they've become part of kind of a, a more usual traditional if you like enterprise tool that they're used to you know is that is that something that you're seeing as well in terms of the way people are enter, a, a kind of why they're starting to embrace multi-cloud this idea that it's a much more seamless integration than than it maybe has been previously yeah absolutely Paul you know I think at the end of the day it's about choice and you know having the flexibility today but more importantly as we go forward in the future to move the workload to wherever it's best suited at that point in time. And, you know, on day one, when something's born, we may not know ultimately a year from now or multiple years from now where that should reside. But the notion of being able to send data to the cloud and then from the cloud, 
uh, meaning to the cloud. You could think of backup as a service, disaster recovery as a service, uh, from the cloud, software as a service, infrastructure as a service. But then within the cloud, from Azure or Azure Stack going to Amazon or vice versa. So one of the use cases I'm starting to see is someone develops in Azure, maybe they're a large customer and Microsoft actually quote unquote gives them Azure credits. So something gets instantiated in Azure, then maybe they bring it back on-prem for some further testing and then they want to push it up to Amazon for production because maybe that's where their tool set resides. So right there, you've got three different data centers in play, one of which is, is their own. So this hybrid notion, you know, and multi-cloud experience, I think is going to become really how we seamlessly think about things where the deployment model, the instantiation of where data resides is, is that something that we have to tailor our activity to rather the opposite that our data is fluid enough and our management tools associated with that are capable enough to take a holistic view of this. That's what's going to enable us to get better business outcomes. Yeah, and I think that idea that actually kind of you touched on there, that the idea that the, the management tools that the enterprise will use to help them to do that will be the key. You know, it, it's that idea of I think a multi-cloud is going to be real difficult if it's too complex. You know, no no, no CIO is going to sign up for more complexity in their environments. I think, you know, they, they're going to want it. The more seamless we can make that, then the more more advantage that I, I think we can start to glean from it. So, so I think, yeah, I, I, I couldn't disagree. I think multi-cloud, you know, is something that, you know, it's not a brand new idea but certainly and we're, we're already seeing it i think so a, a, a trend that's going to gather more traction this year and, and people are going to be um you know f- are going to be investigating and utilizing multi-cloud even if they perhaps don't realize they are uh, just because the integration in some of the kind of the enterprise tools are already using is, is going to become increasingly seamless and and something they'll be able to take advantage of so so alongside multi-cloud you know, what, what other kind of trends are you are you seeing what, what other kind of things do you think will be uh, kind of driving cio decision making this year. Yeah, the, the next couple are, are a little more specific or drilled down. Uh, the second one is really around flash memory, specifically around pricing and improvements of supply. I think in this year, 2019, we're going to see greater supply, improved pricing. And what that is going to mean is greater usage or adoption and incorporation of flash technology in the operational recovery tier. Now, I think we're moving from a, a, a place where Flash is priced at a premium and deployed sparingly to, I don't want to go so far as to say ubiquitously deployed, but increasingly more generally deployed. And what that really is going to allow us to do, besides increasing speed of data ingestion for availability purposes, we can now start to actualize the promise of leveraging data for other purposes other than availability that we touched upon earlier. If you can now bring back instances of your machines for analytics or for security testing, patch testing, uh, the number of us are probably going through vSphere updates or our Windows operating system server updates is just some examples. You know, some call this copy data management. Veeam uses the word data labs for how we facilitate this capability. But you think about DevOps, DevSecOps, uh, Dev test, analytics, reporting. You know, basically anything where you want to leverage the data to achieve other business results and you don't want to impact production. Now you think of flash memory where if you've got a backup infrastructure that's able to service up those images much faster, near instantaneously, 
And there's no penalty for spinning up a number of virtual machines simultaneously. You know, you're not bogged down. The, the fifth machine is going to be now slower than if you were only doing one. I think that's really going to now open people's eyes about, wow, we're spending so much time, so much money, so much human capital on our availability infrastructure. And now look how we can leverage that for even greater benefit. Yeah, I think that that point as well that um, that 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 more uh, more availability of Flash, you know, that the fact that we could maybe also start to use Flash in places that are not necessarily kind of our primary tier one production workloads, as you say, kind of opens up some some really interesting possibilities. And I thought it was some um, you know talk about Veeam for a second. Actually, there's there's a couple of interesting announcements in kind of that that, that update four we touched on it earlier um, around some of the capabilities it gives you as well in terms of some smart recovery type of stuff. So kind of uh, this kind of secure restore type stuff where you can, you know, present data um, in kind of like a staging post before you put it back into production to allow you to maybe carry out some, uh, some transformation on that, on that data. So whether that's, you know, maybe you've done some antivirus updates, you want to make sure any data you bring back doesn't, um, you know, doesn't reinfect a, a kind of a data source, or maybe you've done something around compliance where you've removed somebody's content from data and you want to make sure that any data you recover doesn't doesn't include an individual's content for example um you know that that idea that we can put flash in different places i assume makes that kind of thing even more attractive to to an organization as part of a an overall way they're going to manage their data absolutely i think you know you touched upon data lab secure restore data labs staged restore and what flash does along with that capability of data labs is it allows us to do this at scale. It allows us to do that at speed. And it really now makes the ability to think about backup as more than an availability tool, but you know something that is just another data source that can be leveraged for advantage. And you know, we can think now more broadly than maybe we ever have been able to in the past about how we can get value out of what we've already protected. And well, I think that's, I mean, interestingly, that that kind of um, seeing that, uh, you know, what, what we've maybe traditionally looked at as some kind of backup repository that we can't really do much with, you know, it's always oh, in that just a copy of our production stuff and we just leave it. Uh, I mean, you talked actually interestingly in the, the introduction, didn't you, about tape um, and as, as valid, a, a, you know, for, for long term, cheap data archival as tape remains, tape's not the best data source to then kind of exploit more value out of that, that data backup set, you know, certainly when you compare to putting it on something like flash disk um but interesting one of the things that when when i saw you give this presentation one of the things that you you talked about as another um kind of another trend that we will see more of during this year was this idea of predictive analytics and and, and that sounds like something that maybe that kind of you know more uh, more ubiquitous availability of flash maybe helps to drive some of that as well without kind of stealing your thunder and giving away your, your next trend yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, trend three is predictive analytics uh, you know, based on telemetry data. And uh, it's really a machine learning driven uh, guidance and recommendations, you know, utilizing signatures and fingerprints that can contain best practices for configurations, for policies, for example. You know, being able to use intelligent diagnostics to ensure that you can remediate issues quickly but hopefully even get out in front of or meaning signal to you ahead of time that you're trending towards a configuration problem that will exhibit some kind of anomaly in your organization that you'd like to avoid. And I think now with the, the speed of which we're able to capture data and 
we can retain data, do pattern matching much more at a greater and finer grain level than we have in the past. That really is almost like a reverse phone home, meaning instead of sending a bunch of telemetry points to an organization like Veeam, what if Veeam can leverage our over 320,000 customers and our best practices from a services perspective and send out a fingerprint file so that when your organization might be going through configuration drift or adding more virtual workloads that the infrastructure can handle, that you're alerted proactively instead of reactively. You know, and we, we talk a lot about artificial intelligence and no doubt that is going to be incredibly impactful. But I guess as a technologist, I'm pretty quick to want to kick out some of the buzzwords like AI and say, hmm, you know, half the time when people are describing AI, what they're really talking about is machine learning and the kind of things that I've just described in terms of analytics. I think that's our phase one. And I think that's where we can get some real benefit and we can get the organization higher availability, but more importantly, reduce the administrative burden that's associated with keeping these systems up. Yeah, and I think um, I, I, I think again, I hundred percent agree with that. I think it's something that we're going to see increasingly because it's interesting. Is if, if we look at the two things that we've already spoken about in terms of multi-cloud and and flash as a as a storage medium, the the idea of, you know part of that every all of that is focused around data. You know, it's focused around where we hold our data. You you used a phrase before, didn't you, about the idea that our data needs to be in the most appropriate place at any given time for what we what we want to be able to do with it. So that might be on prem. It might be sat in a public cloud. It might be some some other location, and we need that kind of flexibility. But I suppose the whole thing around this is that our focus is around how we store, how we collect, and how we utilize utilize data. And I think one of the big challenges that we've seen during last year, throughout 2018, and, and probably earlier than that, is that as those data sets become more important and become ever larger, the only way that we as human beings are going to be able to kind of manage and look after those is with some machine assistance. And I thought it was interesting though the way you've separated out AI and machine learning there. I was at a, a just before Christmas at a um, an event with uh, some guys from Microsoft and one of them was a data scientist. And he talked a lot about separating out this kind of interchangeable idea that we have that AI and machine learning are the same thing. Um, you know, I think as you've, you've talked about there that that initial thing that we're going to grab is the kind of the machine learning element that we can examine big data sets and come up with interesting observations that maybe as human beings we'd never be able to spot but actually as a machine with being able to look at much bigger data sets than we ever could as as human beings can start to spot useful trends to kind of augment what what, what we do as people so so i think that you know that, that they, they tie together quite interestingly i think those three things you know and it's i mean is that kind of what, what you're seeing with these predictions as well is that you know the way you're seeing some of these trends develop is that they all certainly all seem to be data focused but they all tie together um, kind of to have like a common thread between them. Yeah, absolutely. I think at the end of the day, machine learning and ultimately AI, that helps scale people. And we can't add more and more humans to the equation, you know, because unfortunately we're resource constrained. And so now the goal has to be, how can we help the administrative team do more? They're being asked to do a great deal more. So let's give them the tools or the right kind of capabilities to do so. And that really leads into the, the fourth prediction, which is about people. Now, the, the rest has been kind of more of a technology orientation. And to be clear, technology is incredibly important, but people are what makes this all work. And so the fourth trend is around 
a versatilist or meaning a generalist role will increasingly become the new operating model for the majority of IT organizations. And it's not that there won't be specialists. There will Large organizations will have a server specialist. They will have a storage specialist. But you think about hyper-converged model where you know, we merge together networking, compute, storage, maybe aspects of availability. You know, now one administrator is actually playing in multiple dorm domains. They're, they're actually taking a horizontal view rather than a very siloed approach to trying to manage infrastructure. And to me, that that just so marries nicely what a business is trying to do, right? You know, you and I love technology, but the majority of businesses buy and deploy this kind of kit to achieve a business objective, right? They're, they're not, not in the business of technology. Perhaps they're in the business of doing something else and they're leveraging technology and data to achieve that. So I think you see talent shortages. You see collapsing on-premise infrastructure and the rise of public cloud and multi-cloud software as a service, leading to broader technicians that certainly have a degree of background in a wide variety of disciplines, but you know, increasingly maybe a bit more business awareness as well. So as we standardize perhaps on certain infrastructure, we orchestrate activities, hopefully machine learning helps us leverage administrators better, that allows us to scale more, you know, that now we can take deep knowledge that we have in, in one domain, but apply that more broadly. And again, I just come back to the phrase, it's to achieve better business outcomes. It's to achieve digital initiatives. It's to achieve economic growth. And the more IT can help directly support that by leveraging data, but also having the people that can think in that way, the more value we can ultimately provide back to the business. And I thought, I mean, that's a really interesting point. And, and again, wholeheartedly agree. I think the idea that you, you talk there about business outcomes and, you know, and I think it, it's often you, you kind of touched on there, you know, as, as technologists, it's easy for us to get excited by your technology and then forget why on earth would you want to, to do some of those things. And, and I know, again, we were we were talking a little bit before we recorded um, and often I probably should record all of this because um, there's, there's usually great gems in those kind of pre-chats that we have. But we, we talked there, didn't we, about uh, some organizations we've been working with where they are looking at this kind of the right way round, if you like, ra- around how they do a transformation. Their focus is on transforming the culture and the people and technology being there as kind of a, a an enablement to that transformation, as opposed to maybe as technologists, we might look at it and think, oh, let's see how we can, you know, crowbar that technology into our business because it looks really cool. You know, I want to be able to use Azure because there's some really interesting stuff you can do in there, as opposed to looking at it and saying, what's the business outcome and does public cloud maybe give us a way of doing that or does a different way we use data and maybe just a supplementary question actually to this kind of uh, trend around people that you see do, i mean do you see that as being if you're somebody working in the it industry i mean do you see that as kind of an important skill to develop to become more business aware for for want of a better phrase yeah i really do and you know i think maybe i have a bias because um I, I went to school, my wife and I went to the University of Arizona, and they didn't have undergraduate computer science, but they did have management information systems, which was actually in the business department. So it was a, a, a mashup of programming, computer programming, combined with actual business activity of accounting and marketing and economics. And the notion for that creating the MIS or management information systems was Someone has to understand how to do things, meaning go implement and code, but someone has to understand what in the world the business actually wants. And 
a quarter of a century later, I came up with the phrase, you know, think outcomes before infrastructure. You know, meaning like technologists, we hear people describing their requirements, what they want. We're already thinking about how we're going to go achieve that, how we're going to code that, or what, what system we're going to put together. And if we just pause and said, let me fully hear what you're trying to achieve and then think. Now, an increasingly diverse world, you know, for example, that's where Multicop fits in. Where would be the right place to host this initially? And to do really a good job of that, you have to fully hear what the business is trying to achieve. I think there's um I think there's probably a podcast episode and, and I may come back to you for this one um entitled Think Outcomes Before Infrastructure because I think that's a that's a whole debate in itself I think for people working in the IT industry whether you're a decision maker or an architect or an IT pro you know that that kind of have an idea because as you've touched on the you know the way a lot of these technology trends are shifting that actually lots of the detailed infrastructure type work that we might have done over the last 10 years lots of that will be taken away because we won't get to see that kind of the under the covers piece you know if we're going to use public cloud increasingly then you know amazon aren't going to share with us exactly how they build their infrastructure yes you're going to need to know how their infrastructure operates at a certain degree but you're not going to get to know about spindles and cpus and network ports you know you you, you don't all of that's kind of abstracted away so well i mean as we come to kind of the end of our recording time here uh, one of the things that i did see you present and i thought it was quite interesting you know i think it's very easy for us to kind of just look forward and look ahead at some of the new and exciting things we we might cover but I, I, when, when I saw you give this presentation you also talked about um, kind of about a couple of areas where you see them staying very much the same and, and and them in their selves might be a might present a challenge to kind of you know kind of adopting some of these trends for to, to deliver those business outcomes so so what are some of the challenges you see with some of the things that will remain the same over over 2019 yeah I, unfortunately while I'm a eternally optimistic person now, you know, some three decades in this business, I've seen a lot of things that don't change. And the first one is I think that the current level of frustration with legacy backup approaches and solutions is going to continue. And my past life as an analyst for multiple years, you know, I, I saw this where year in and year out, organizations are struggling to achieve SLAs. Uh, it's just but one example around backup and availability. And you know, not to pick on, on other providers in the space, but just being factual, the top three vendors in the market of backup and recovery from a software perspective are losing market share. In fact, the, the largest provider in the space, now going to 2019, for 11 years in a row, has continued to lose share. So what, what does this mean? It means that people are looking to improve their their capabilities and that leads to the second one the first constant is frustration with current approaches the put a finer point on that the second main thing i see persisting is the pain points around cost and complexity and the capabilities of their availability solution are going to fuel that level of frustration and frankly fuel people looking to augment their tool set or even fully replace their tool set and, you know, cost in some cases, it's acquisition price, it's maintenance fees, it, uh, it might be the amount of professional services or the administrative um, overhead that's required. And, you know, complexity probably speaks for itself, but the, people want more intuitive solutions. You know, they don't grow up like me wanting to be a backup person for the rest of their life. They're just trying to achieve a better business outcome, right? And the capability is largely around speed. The speed of the backup for sure, but speed of restoration, speed of being able to instantly mount 
a virtual machine image and be able to achieve some of the great things we've been describing. So I think that if I say what's different in 2019, it's those four things we've spoken about, but what's the same this year compared to last year? It's that we're all still seeking reliable, easy to use solutions that can operate the speed of our business yeah, and i think um i think what's interesting about that is you know and obviously you've talked about kind of data protection and availability as, as one of those things where um you know traditional ways of doing things may inhibit our ability to, to kind of adopt some of those trends but i think it goes wider than that as well doesn't it? it's not just kind of um the way we protect data but it's so many other things you know that that one of the great inhibitors i think to uh, you know organizations moving forward and, and and taking some of the transformation they want to do is that piece where people say yes but we've always done it this way and we want to hold on to our our kind of little kingdom and certainly one of the things that conversations we have with people on a regular basis is that ultimately the business outcome is going to demand change and if you don't provide the ability to the business to to kind of do that transformation then you know you, somebody is going to come along and do that for you you know some of the, they're probably if you don't make that transformational change somebody's probably going to replace you with somebody who will um and i mean is that something you see as well you know you kind of do see that as a as a wider as a wider problem it's not just a problem around data protection no absolutely you know absolutely you know i i'm biased because that's the, the domain in which i i focus on and participate in but i think it's universal across all of it but frankly you know you could say really all of life yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, well, they, what, what a great place to end where we look at a far more existential problem than just IT, uh, but by looking at life in general. Uh, seems like a great way to start 2019. Uh, well, look, Dave, I, I really appreciate time. And I, and I think uh, we, we will watch with interest throughout the year how um, some of those trends continue to develop. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I agree 100% with you. I think all of those things that we've talked about will be things that we continue. You know, they're not necessarily, you know, they're not brand new ideas that nobody's you know that we've not seen but i think you're absolutely right in that they are they are things that we have seen start to shift you know we saw it kind of shift last year and i think we're just going to see kind of adopted and, and move forward at a, at a higher pace but i mean if people want to find out more and i, and I don't know whether obviously the presentation i saw uh, that, you, that you gave on this I, mean, I don't know whether that's something that people can find online if they kind of want to hear uh, more detail about what you did there and see that presentation but i mean if people do want to find out a little bit more about kind of what you're doing and, and what vima doing um, and maybe want to be able to stalk you online to ask you questions is a, is a good ways they can do that yeah yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, Twitter is Backup Dave. Uh, LinkedIn is, is the same. And the, the presentation you mentioned from Vmon Virtual is actually going to be out for some period of months. I know through February of this year, it might extend even into to March. But yeah, you, that's certainly available for viewing. And if you have any other questions, uh, feel free to reach out to me on social media. Well, I'll make sure we get um, that in the show notes. Now, I'll put some links into kind of that Vmon virtual event where um, where people can go and check out the, the presentation you gave. But but for now, look, Dave, um, well, thanks very much for joining us for the first tech interviews of 2019. Um, wishing you all the best for, for the new year as well. And um, thanks for spending some time with us. Much appreciated. Uh, thank you so much, Paul. I hope you enjoyed that. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com, where you'll also find all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. Next week, we take a look at the world of the IT pro and social media. So to make sure you grab that show, why not subscribe? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud and Stitcher, as well as all other good homes of podcasts. So until next week, thanks for listening.